0: Should I keep a virtual background on or?
1: Yeah, you look good. All right, Ali. So we talk a lot about video. We talk a lot about sales and marketing. Uh, in your opinion, what is an underutilized aspect of sales that, that seems like some people can really get it right, but not enough people have even tried it? What would you say that, that tactic or that strategy is? Hmm.
0: I'm gonna say this, and it's gonna sound like I'm just plugging you in here, but it's it's definitely creating stories and yeah. painting a picture for people. Um, I think anywhere between, you know, right from when you start talking to somebody just to capture their attention, to kind of hook them in, all the way down to a customer story right yeah. at the end, explaining why something is valid and proving a point. I think uh, I think we relied pretty heavily on just like pre-canned. Here's a customer story. I'll just throw it in a nurture cadence and um, we don't really use it in our word track. Um, we don't use it to build relationships. Uh, we're not very vocal about it in, in particular. Yeah, uh, totally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a, a professional colleague, Art Jones and Art, if you're listening, this is like the third time I've shouted you out, I think in the last like two days. So, uh, kudos to you, man. But Art always says data tells and story sells. And I think like, there's so much power and simplicity in that statement because it's true, right? So think about like a standard uh, SDRs day. Uh, they are putting a bunch of contacts into sequences they're firing off. Uh, they're seeing you know, how to optimize the sequence to get as many opens and then responses as possible. And it's like a very like data heavy type thing. And it's all uh, putting themselves and their activity at, at the center of, of what they're doing and i think if you like kind of flip that mentality on its head and you you take this the storytelling approach you're actually as the storyteller you're not the hero in the story you're merely like the the sherpa you're real, you're like the narrator basically and people don't remember the narrator unless your name's morgan freeman and you have the the voice yeah. of god but more times than not uh, people remember audiences remember the hero in the journey Right And I think by flipping that activity uh salesperson uh, constructed reality and flipping it to the storytelling reality in which the prospect is the hero and you're merely the the guide on the journey, seems to me like that's a much more outcome based approach. What do you think about that?
0: A hundred percent and um I wonder what, like, and, and, and then you start thinking a little bit deeper. And then when you're trying to craft a story too, it's like, what is a hero in the eyes of the prospect that you're speaking to? Mm. Like, how do you find that out about them? And I think like, even through discovery, you can find out what's important to them. And even if you want to start looking into just like behavior or, or just the way humans are in particular, everyone looks out for themselves. It's, it's a harsh, but it's, it's a very, very true statement. Um, maybe, maybe for them being the hero is, you know, getting a round, a round of applause from their senior leadership because they implemented something that, you know, justified an ROI of some sort or whatever pertains to them. Yeah. If that's the narrative and that's truly what's important to them, that would make them feel like the Superman or the superwoman of the story. And it's like, how do you craft yours or how do you build that story or paint that picture in their head to make them feel like you can get them to that point?
1: definitely definitely and i think that's a really important distinction because you have story and then you have like the characters that are involved involved in the story and the the characters usually fall into like certain archetypes right you have your hero you have your villain you have uh your guide you have um you know a number of, of different archetypes that are all you know probably well known um there's like the character synopsis if you will which is like uh the defining traits and motivations that a character has, and then I think where it starts to get really, really interesting, especially for salespeople, is understanding your character's wants versus their needs, right? And I think um, wants are usually the surface level things. Well, I, I want to increase pipeline. I want to be able to close de- deals uh, more quickly. Um, so then you can start asking, like, hey, what does my character want? What does you know my, my prospect want? And, and how will they attempt to get it, right? So if you start there, it starts to frame it up real nice. And then when you start to examine the character's needs, then it starts to get super interesting, right? So what does your character actually need? Uh, so like, what is the change that's needed in their life um, for them to actually realize that the thing that it is that they need? And then how do they go about realizing it? And I think that's where most people who aren't aware of storytelling or the principles of storytelling really uh, are confused because again, if you're, if you want to increase pipeline, um, and you want to close deals faster, like that's like kind of an external manifestation. Right. Mm-hmm. But if your, uh, like need is to get that pipeline intact in so you can get the promotion, so you can build, uh, the brand new home of your dreams, so you can support your wife that you've, uh, you made a promise to 10 years ago, uh, okay. when you high school sweethearts, like that is what you're actually selling. Right. It's not that you're selling uh, the pipeline velocity uh, tool. Right. You're actually selling uh, the promise that, that you made that your prospect made to their wife, you know, whatever whenever that was. So, what, what are your thoughts there? Am I off base?
0: No, not at all. I mean, like, those are the deep embedded. You know, thoughts of every individual that's in a company. You know, like, yeah. and that's like that's the main purpose of why people you know, operate or or strive for for greatness whatever, whatever they do, really. Yeah. Um. You know, I and I just thinking a little bit about this as well. It's like, so this is all like qualitative things in a salesperson's life. Is all qualitative things in 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 communication in particular. You know, and it pairs really well with the quantifiable stuff like you know, what, what this is going to help with in turn with whatever you're trying to accomplish. But I think the quantifiable is a lot easier to measure. So you'll have like a salesperson, for instance, and, you know, they say they want to get to uh, $50,000, let's just say as a figure worth of pipeline this quarter. Mm-hmm. So they know that they can probably quantifiably increase the amount of outreaches. They could increase the amount of hours that they spend working at their desk. They can all that stuff. It's quantifiable, Mm -hmm. but very, very seldom do I think salespeople or people in business look at the qualitative aspects of what they're doing. Yeah. That's a big problem, especially maybe not a problem. Maybe it's just the direction that, you know, sales and business is taking, but that, that absolutely could be like a, a key that businesses could unlock in order to, to restore order in between both, because I feel like they're both powerful in their own, in their own sense. Yeah. And just, just one more point on that too. It's like, even myself, like I love the idea of storytelling, but in my day-to-day storytelling is probably the last thing I'm thinking about. Right. So who's going to make that easier? Who's going to make qualitative things, uh, who's going to make qualitative things quantifiable? Yeah. And, uh, how are they going to get that integrated into a salesperson's day-to-day without going too far off the beaten path? Sure. Whoever does that is going to kill it. Um, (laughs)
1: Well, that's, a, that's what we're aiming to do. So, uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll pound our chest on that. I, I completely agree with you about the quantifiable versus the you know more quant- qualitative type stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that really boils down to kind of where we're at as a, as a sales and marketing industry where everything had to be measured and, and attributable. And I think some of that, um, has happened because of like the predictable revenue model, uh, that Aaron uh, Ross and, and, uh, and his team put together, you know, in the early days of, of Silicon Valley split scaling and all of that. And it was, it used to be, you could tie activity back to, to outcomes. And like the more activity, the more, um, specialized the activity was, the, the more you could see the impact on, um, uh, like bottom line results. And, and that was great. And a lot of automation helped with that, and sales outreach tools and, and, and cadence tools helped with that. Um, but I think what that ended up doing is finding a lot more people that were willing to buy solutions that, that you know, companies were selling. Uh, but it also created like this weird, Uh, secondary and tertiary kind of market of people that weren't necessarily like the best fit customers actually going ahead and buying the solution. And I'm going to shout out Andrew Payne here. Um, Andrew has a really good thought process that I've adopted. And like, what are you doing to increase your best fit customers as opposed to anybody who's willing to buy your product? Because there's actually a very, very big difference there. Your best fit customers are the ones where they become advocates, they become um, like evangelists basically for your brand. And the goal of selling a piece of software is not just to like cash your commission check on it. It's to make sure that that prospect is actually getting the most utility out of it. So it becomes a product led growth uh, motion after you you put your prospect with the proper solution, right? So finding your best fit customers, um, I think is where we start to tie back the storytelling aspect of it, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: if you know who your best fit type of customer is, and you've seen them uh, get the most utility out of out of your tool, well, you could sing that, that song. You can tell that story all day to people that look, feel, uh, act, behave just as they do. And I think that's where we start to draw um, the distinction that like, yeah, just because you can measure something doesn't mean that you should like, take that as, as gospel. There's, there's nuance that's involved. Um, mm. and story I think gets us into a little bit more of that. I and mean, some people might say it's touchy feely, but at, at any given point, it's creating more emotional value. And, uh, at the end of the day, you talked about this with communication, all communication is, is the transfer, not of information, but of confidence. And I don't think anything does that better than story.
0: Yeah. Story paired with, um, I think story paired with video hmm. personally um, I can't remember the last time uh, somebody sent me an email story where I like sat there and just belted out laughing or right. felt some type of way. The most you'll get is like the the nostrils you know when you see a funny <laughs> name or something um, so, so you know you know not to not to get too in de- too too, in- too deep into this right now because uh, I do have another question for you, but yeah. I think video as a catalyst in, in a sales organization is a great way for you to portray your tonality, have the opportunity to portray that confidence, which you had, you had mentioned is really important um, yep. to communication and, uh, and be able to craft like even a repeatable story. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we were chatting about this one time. We are talking a little bit about how, you know, sometimes, you know, what if you don't have a story? What if you, what do you well, you know, if you can create one really good story, you know, this is a new experience and a new story that you can share with the world. And yeah. an individual basis, you don't have to be the best storyteller in the world. But as long as you know what you're saying and you have the confidence to say it, um, that'll take you pretty far.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely.
0: I was going to ask you a question. I, I, I think this is like, and this is more, and more about like your organization, what you guys are doing. But so in an, in an increasingly like, I'd say quantifiable world where it's like mm-hmm. board members, SLT, all talking numbers and not as much qualitative. I wonder how it's going to, it's like, if that paradigm is going to shift towards, you know, everyone's starting to think about the qualitative things, or if those are going to be key metrics in growth in organizations. And do you think that paradigm shift is going to be what, what helps launch and bring pre-write into, 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 in a, in a huge growth phase?
1: Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think over the last, Call it six months, obviously living in, in pandemic COVID era, uh, a lot of the tactics that we were utilizing, not we as in pre write, but we as an, as an industry were utilizing, um, you know, running paid ads to gated content. As soon as somebody submitted their email, then they got their SDR cadence of, of 15, you know, canned messages uh, they, when the prospect actually does want to get on the phone with somebody to talk about pricing, they're automatically disqualified because it appears that, uh, you know, they're not a right, the right fit, what have you. And, and Chris Walker with, um, Refine labs just mentioned something very similar to this. He's buying on behalf of his agency, which would actually put him in the ideal, ideal customer profile for this SaaS organization. And, uh, he got disqualified by like an SDR. And like, if anybody knew, knows anything about like Chris, it's like, it's it's so funny that that happened to him. Um, but in any case, I do think that uh, out coming out of COVID, coming out of uh, you know what we're facing, you know around the world really, but especially here in the states, um, there's this this march towards empathy, and I think there's this march towards creating human connection and like kind of returning to being human. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think there's anything more human than, than story. Um, again, like data is great. Data helps us like backfill, justify decisions, but how do we actually make decisions? Right. We do it based off of our emotions. Uh, I just bought a truck last week. Okay. And I drive a grand total of, I think last year I drove, uh, 5,000 miles. Um, I don't need a truck. I don't haul things. I work in software. Why'd Mm -hmm. I buy a truck? Well, uh, two weeks ago, I went to go uh, pick up a bunch of limestone and flagstone to put in my backyard. I loaded into my wife's SUV, nearly busted the suspension. I thought, oh my God, my wife's going to kill me. Like, this is horrible. So the next day when I come back and I unload all the, the limestone and flagstone out of the SUV, I'm thinking, I got to buy a truck. I got to buy a truck. If I buy a truck, then I'm never going to have to face this problem again. So all of a sudden, what could have been like, I rented a trailer for a hundred bucks, turns into buying a truck for you know five figures, right? Why did I do that? It was based off emotions, not based off logic. Now, I love the truck and it's really fun to drive. My son loves it. So it's cool. But that's me justifying it in reverse. And um, I think the same, obviously, this is a different talking B2B versus, versus consumer like myself, um, but- that's what we do. I and mean, we do it every single day. We probably do it every hour, every day. And uh, I think that's where uh, the B2C world is often like so far ahead of us in B2B. And and why are they ahead of us? Well, because they're closer to like culture. They're closer to understanding like the zeitgeist. And guess what? B2C has been using video for the last five years maybe ten years and they're so far ahead of most b2b uh, sales and marketing organizations because of it so I'm going to bring the conversation back to video mm-hmm. and talk about how the best b2b uh, revenue leaders are, are, are leveraging video in today's day and age
0: yeah absolutely and I, I just gotta say I I completely agree with your points but I disagree in the in the in the Discrepancy between business to consumer and business to business, because the same people that are buying trucks, the same people that are buying shoes, the same people that are buying a pack of gum are buying enterprise software, yeah. buying uh, jets, are buying airplane tickets. A consumer is a consumer, and yeah. we're all tapped in at some point. Yep. So I think it's a big missed opportunity for business to business to put empathy and 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 those qualitative uh, aspects of sales to the side. Yeah, kind into, into video, perfect catalyst. I mean, we were talking a little bit about using video in business and and why that's important. Number one, um, increasingly becoming like automated in terms of like sequences, sending off emails. Emails are pretty long, and our attention spans have decreased quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I like to work on that. Sometimes I'll be like, hey, I've read two seconds of this email. I'm moving on. Here, let's let's dial it back. Let me keep reading. So what we're trying to do is especially with an organization like Vidyard is bring the human element back into sales, the human element back into marketing, uh, invoke empathy, invoke feelings like emotions when, when you're making a purchasing decision, but also connect you as a human being to the other person that's receiving the message.
1: <clears throat>
0: and uh, and in terms of video, the, the barrier of entry has never been so low. Mm-hmm. Um, across the entire marketplace and landscape for video. I mean, we have a free tool at Vidyard. You can literally sign up and send videos immediately right after you're done watching this for no cost. And in order to do that, um, all it takes is for you to get over your fear of what's someone going to, you know, what's someone going to say when I make this video and send it to them Incite those one or two really good reactions and then go, Oh, now I need to bring this to my team and show them that this is the pathway. Right. So (laughs) we can sit here and talk a lot about, you know, Vidyard and we can talk about video in particular, but I think what's like, I want to bring this back to story and video. I think that that as an overarching theme is like, is, is critical. And um, so we talked a little bit about, you know, what it means to, what it means to be able to portray tone and voice and, and, and and your body language and, and the way you are, your confidence. But I mean, what, what is the actual application in sales? I mean, or in business. Let's let's, yeah. let's let's actually niche it down to sales in particular. Sure. What does that application look like?
1: Yeah. So I, I think it's important to find stories that work for every step in the sales cycle um, and for every like element of, of this, the sales journey, if you will, right? So when we talk about like the sales cycle, let's just boil it down to a basic like HubSpot 2010 definition of that. You have your awareness you have your consideration, you have your decision, and then you have like your purchase, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think if you can create, uh, stories around each of those stages, you, you stand to benefit. Um, so let's try to give some examples here. Um, awareness, like converting a stranger into a, uh, prospect probably is the most difficult to do for like a sales rep one-to-one. Um, because like you talked about, like, you're not going to like cold call somebody and say like, Hey, want to tell you a story (laughs) do you have five minutes right like it's not going to work like that so so that motion might actually come more more so from marketing and i think demand gen leaders should be absolutely paying attention to this um because that's that's kind of where they're going to make their hay but um in any case you're going to have to know like who your your customer is you're going to have to know like what's important to them um, what's at stake for them, I think is a huge part of the storytelling process and sales, regardless of, of, uh, buying journey, what's at stake. And I think we, we delved into that a little bit with, you know, like what characters want versus what characters need. Well, the stakes are incredibly large once you, once you identify what they actually need. Um, and again, like disappointing your high school sweetheart, cause you made a promise to her 10 years ago and you're not gonna be able to fulfill it. Um, that's a lot at stake. And, and the ramifications of that are massive. So, um, so like there's that part of it. I think there's a really interesting uh, kind of concept as well that, that is based off of Gartner research. Take that if you, how you want it or not. Uh, but like you have 6.7 decision makers in every buying uh, decision in today's day and age, right? So if 6.7 people, uh, no offense to the 0.7 person, you still are a person. Uh, but if they all have to weigh in on it, well not all of them are actually controlling the budget, not all of them are actually going to be using the product and and not all of them are actually have a give a damn about it, right? So mm-hmm. one might be a champion or, or an internal um, you know stakeholder that wants to see this through. And I think this is something that uh, actually I just talked with Bob Apollo about. and Bob, shout out to you because you really blew my mind with with this. But storytelling can actually be used uh, in like a co-curricular, co-curricular manner. So um, if you have an internal champion, let's say, and that internal champion really likes you, really likes the product, and they've been armed with uh, features and they've been armed with facts, um, so they know how much your product costs, they know um, what it can do, uh, they know how it compares to competitors. Okay, so now your internal champion is going to take that information They're going to go back to their buying committee and they're going to say, yep, uh, check this box, check this box, check this box. Cool. Then the buying committee gets uh, another um, kind of submission from another group. And this guy walks and he's like, oh, my God, I just had this greatest, the greatest conversation. You know our competitor who's in in two states over? Well, they just bought this tool that helps them uh, increase pipeline faster, uh, close deals more quickly by the tune of 2.5%. And this is how they did it. First, they identified who the hero was in their in their journey. Second, they identified what their biggest challenge was. And third, they've identified what was at stake if they failed to, to actually make good on that promise. It's, it's a game changer. This is going to catapult us into the next, next stratosphere. Which, which scenario is the buying committee going to remember, one- and then which one are they going to actually feel compelled to make a movement on the one that was just listing the bullet points of features and, and pricing or the one that was actually telling a story that was applicable uh, to them. Uh, the, I think, you know, the answer in my opinion is the second one because it makes you feel something right. Yeah. And uh, if you're not arming your internal champions with that story uh, then you're kind of going through the same slog where in B2B as we know, The reason why there are 6.7 decision makers involved is because almost everything comes back to uh, not selling against your competitor, but selling against the status quo. Right. And when you have all of this data and all of these features um, and it's all like packaged together in, in, uh, in these things like, okay, well, what's the cost of actually making a decision versus us just not making a decision at all. And I think that the storytelling aspect of it, and this is where, Working with an internal champion to identify, hey, here's what's at stake for you. Here's what's at stake for the organization. Here's how we can get from point A to point B. And here's a story that we can use to actually sell this internally to the rest of the people that are are working uh, with you on behalf of the organization. So um, in any case, yeah, kudos to Bob Apollo for priming my pump on that one.
0: I really wish I could have been a part of that conversation. (laughs) I I have something I can add into that too. Yeah, let's hear it. Think think about uh, the second the second scenario that you that you put forward. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. The way that you even said it had me like my ears were open. You know. Yeah. yeah. How does the typical salesperson portray that? Um, so let's say you're in a let's say you're in a deal cycle and you're dealing with one decision maker and one champion, but there's six point seven people making a decision. How is that message that you just portrayed to me gonna go across all six point seven people with the same conviction? without playing a uh, broken telephone where they're going to yep. speak to other decision makers and then also keeping them engaged.
1: Yeah. Well, again, I think that kind of comes down to how you should you should uh, leverage some of the tools and media that you have at your disposal. Ideally, you're creating a video with yeah. your internal stakeholder, right? Your champion. Mm-hmm. And you you as the seller, you're merely acting as the Sherpa on the journey, right? Like your, act, your champion is the one Who's saying, and because of this, we can do this, and thanks to that, that we can do this, this, and this. Awesome, great. Let him or her be the one that's actually uh, presenting the, the story in that respect, because then it becomes theirs. And if it becomes your champion's story, then it becomes your organization's story. So um, exactly.
0: And, and think about this too. You got the so. If you were to create a video, shameless hmm. uh, plug Vidyard, perfect yep. tool for it. Yep. Yep. You send that video off. That video now goes to all 6.7 decision makers. Heck, you can even CC them and ask them, hey, I'll send it to everyone so that you don't have to. Now, guess what's cool? Now we're going to bring in the qualitative, or sorry, the quantitative aspect of it. And with our tool, you're able to actually track who watched it and who's engaged, yeah. down to the percentage. Yeah. Okay, so in a week from now, if I don't know, if, you, if everybody got to learn a little bit more about the conversation, I can just go to my, go to my contact center and just be like, all those six people didn't even open my email yet. Why in the world would I, would I message them and go, hey, just following up, you know, like, no, I'm going to say, listen, like nobody's watched yeah. those videos yet. Is timing right now? Did I give you enough information for you to go to your decision makers so you can start crafting your message and understanding what components of your time management are going to be effective mm-hmm. in this deal? So yeah. I, think, I think Vidyard and video, let's say video in particular, because I, I just want everyone to be on it. And storytelling qualitative and quantitative come together so perfectly yeah. between a tool like a Vidyard and storytelling.
1: Yeah. I love well, it. And, and, and here's how you take it even further. So like the 6.7 decision makers, they probably have different rank orders or different stack orders for how they make decisions. Right. And the more that you can map that internally, uh, awesome. That's great. You're never going to be able to get it all, but if you can find like some themes in, in their decision-making process, here's one thing that I know Vidyard can do that just blows my mind, right? So there's this concept of of jump cuts um, and it's almost like a choose your own adventure story. So you've created this awesome video. Uh, You've got basically like branching decision trees, right? So stakeholder one logs in and he sees the video and it's like, okay, uh, here's the big thesis. Here's why you need to make a change. Here's why you need to make a change now. And here's why you, you might want to consider us as a provider. Okay, great. So you go in and you see, you know, uh, uh, value number one. And is this, is this like your number one value? And they can say yes or no. And if they say yes, well, then they continue down that path that's focused mm-hmm. on value point one. And if they say, well, this is important, value point one is important, but what we're really focused on is this. And then they yep. click that button and it's value point number two. And then they go down a whole narrative about how your solution can actually uh, deliver not just that value point two, not value point one, but also value point two. And it's like an incredibly immersive experience. And when you circulate that and socialize that within the buying committee itself, and everyone somehow, some way, despite all going on different journeys, ends up at the same endpoint. And that endpoint is, is your proposal. Yep. It's a beautiful thing. That's that's using technology. That's using storytelling. That's using video to accomplish outcomes that otherwise wouldn't have been available. And I think that's um, an absolutely incredible uh, development that that I, I hope more people uh, know exists.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally agree with you. And um, you know, what's interesting about this whole thing too? It's like you want your sales and your marketing to align very well. I here's a little, I guess, question I can ask you. Yeah. Say, for instance, me and you just met and I wanted to, you know, have a, or get onto this webinar with you. If I said, let's get on a webinar or if I gave you three or four different options and you could choose either a webinar today, webinar next week, a month from now, whatever it is, wouldn't you be more inclined and more comfortable to engage with me off the first time meeting me because you got to make your own decision? Yep. Well, the cool thing about this entire situation you, you, you mentioned right now is like you're guiding people into the yep. right places and acting as a subject matter expert. But not always trying to pull the trigger, and yeah. I think it's super important. So yes, the interactivity is great, and uh, it works inside of like pretty much all the major um, major uh, CRM and MAP systems. So good sales and marketing alignment. Yeah. But that's that's enough for me about Vidyard. I can <laughs> talk to you about it forever. I um I wanted to uh, want to ask. So uh, as I was gearing up for us to you know get this yeah. report and chat a bit more. I'm like, let me see if I could throw a story or try to put a story into um, one of my sales calls that I had earlier. Yeah. And, um, I was thinking that um, I could kind of make myself a little vulnerable here and tell you it.
1: Let's do it. And Let's do it. I want you to
0: break it down and let me know if you think it was a good use case or a good yeah,
1: application. Definitely. Okay. Let's go.
0: Okay, cool. So i um, talking to uh, this individual and um, I was trying to paint a picture of partnership between myself and himself. And uh, he was talking a little bit about, he started off the conversation by saying, you know, they're, they're sales consultants, sales, um, uh, trainers. And he's like, you know, you look at this, uh, he's like, you look at a sales team, they're all sitting in a bullpen. He's like the best bullpens and the best places that foster growth are ones that are open where everyone can, you know, have free ideas and, uh, and, and give feedback to each other and stuff like that. And after he was done saying the story of the bullpen, I, I kind of just put that story back. So he gave me a story and I reworked that story to, to kind of make it, uh, I guess guided more towards what I was trying to get across.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I was like, well, take ABC company and that picture and that picture that you have in your mind of that perfect sales bullpen. And I'm like, now envision everybody sitting down in that sales bullpen. You have people to your left, people to your right. And I'm like, you know, in the old days, everyone was calling on the phones. You pick up the old phone, you know, you still have a little cord on it. <laughs> Everybody is uh, looking at each other and going, hey, what'd you just say there? Did that work? You booked a meeting? And that's how information was, was was passed around. And I'm like, then emails emerge and, you know, people are sitting there writing emails. You book a meeting, you put your arm up and then someone's like, oh, what did you say in order to get that meeting? I'm like, well, now in today's day and age, people have a whiteboard in front of them with names. They're writing funky stuff. you got stuff going on in the background in their environment. And people are looking amongst, you know, their their colleagues and saying, "Yeah, what did you write on that? What'd you write on that board? Or what did you say here? what did you say there?" And I'm like, "Now, you know, envision all the companies that haven't gotten to that that video portion yet as it's growing. Can you see yourself training and filling the gap for those people who are kind of almost laggards in a sense uh, yeah. as it pertains to the way that we're growing in this marketplace?" And he's just, and it just clicked, and he's like, "Well, that's the application." Yeah. What could have I done better there? or was it good, or was it absolutely uh, true?
1: I, I think it was, I think it was really good. I think uh, the whole idea of, of story, right, is to uh, transport someone to a place that they've been before and or want to go, and mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what, what your story did, right? So, like, even asking to picture the wraparound cord on, <laughs> on a cord headset, that immediately puts puts you back, and you start to, like, uh envision there's a vision that pops up in your head of like what that is. And I imagined uh Alec Baldwin and always be closing Glengarry Glen Glenn Ross. Yeah, you know, sitting at uh in front of a whiteboard and and showing or a chalkboard and showing, you know, uh, the whole formula, thinking like, man, that crap's outdated. Like, <laughs> yeah, we deserve better than that, right? And uh and I think um that's when you start to say think about uh okay we do deserve better. What is better than that? And and that's where that transition to uh, Vidyard and video being the bridge over that gap between where we were at before and where we we're going. Uh, so yeah, that's huge. That's absolutely huge.
0: So um, I wonder how many times I can actually repeat. Uh, I could share that same story and the same yeah. visualization with. Yeah. Because I like the story myself. I like telling it, and you know, now you boosted my confidence. So now my head's going to blow up. Yeah. And uh, you know. I'd love to share that with other, you know, You you absolutely should.
1: I I think one thing that you will want to think about too, and uh, this isn't, this is like just depending on how you sell and depending on like what your organization's mindset is around all of it. And uh, some technology companies have gotten into a lot of heat uh, over the course of decades for uh, expanding FUD, right? So uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Hmm. Um, You don't want to use that, you know, maliciously. But I think some of that does play into what's at stake, right? So like for in, in this story that, that you put forth, right? What would be at stake for the consultant uh, to continue to use old practices? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, he's gonna get passed up. And what happens if he gets passed up? Yep. The next, the next generation of sales consultants that are armed with best in breed tools, ex- especially video, are gonna start eating into his market share, right? So that that would be the one thing, what's at stake, right? Um yep. I think would be something you could probably develop uh, even further, but as, as a first like foray into story, man, like it's exactly it. You, you got the emotion, you, you painted a picture in somebody's head and you made it compelling enough to have that little hook. Right. And I think that's um, that hook aspect of it is, is what gets us uh, involved emotionally, which means we want to see it towards some sort of outcome or resolution. And that's exactly what happened.
0: That's amazing. And I I love that you put that into perspective because yeah, you know, when I, when I was, you know, I was preparing for this call and um, I started thinking about like, how can I incorporate it? Yeah. Right away. My brain went to, you know, like when you look at, let's say a movie, the movie starts off like this Mm -hmm. goes up. There's the, I I don't know the exact stages and what they're calling Do. Yeah. But I feel like a sales cycle always starts like that. Yeah. Except, you know, after the climax, there could be, instead of a downfall and a resolution straight up, right after the climax, there could be a resolution and a maturity but then that could also continue to climax. And, um, you know, that's, that's uptrending and that's, that's pure business terminology. And is that overlap? It's just, it kind of blew my mind when I was thinking about
1: it. Absolutely. I think, uh, the the aspect of the sales journey actually being a story in and of itself is something that that you kind of got me noodling on uh, like months ago or maybe a month ago when we first started talking. And, uh, as a result of that, like, we started to build in certain aspects of the tool that made it easier to keep track of some of these things from, from like the emotional sentiment of certain outcomes that are reached versus how to uh, unstick or get deals unstuck uh, based on that. Well, if, if you're stuck much like a a story, like a hero in a story gets stuck in some sort of uh, perilous position, how do you get out of that? Yeah. Well, you need, you need someone to help, come come down you need Gandalf the gray to, to give you a helping hand right and uh but you got to figure out who your Gandalf the gray is and um I think framing it in that perspective really gets us out of that that purely quantitative aspect like we were talking about before it gets us into a more qualitative uh like mindset so um so yeah I I, I agree with you that's uh it's a good analogy I love it well uh,
0: I guess I guess like all in all I like even for myself just just some takeaways from this conversation yeah. I think it's like I think it's important that I start creating habits and and you know being being in channel sales and in partnerships and building strategic partnerships understanding what people who would partner with Vidyard actually truly care or what they're trying to accomplish and yep. beyond the whole qual- uh, quantitative aspect and I encourage everybody who, who thinks the same way or believes in this to pair something like video alongside storytelling and i think it's a really good way to start doing that um in the most effective manner especially since there's like literally no barriers of entry yeah Um, Yeah. so really good pairing there
1: i i agree and i think uh it's a perfect compliment right so having story without video means you become a writer and you become a a playwright and that's such a foreign concept for, you know, 99.9% of salespeople. Um, whereas if you add video to it, well, you've probably been on video before, whether it are doing something stupid in college or, or whatever. Uh, but now you're applying storytelling to videos. And I think this is something that you that You and I talk about offline too. It's like when you're sitting around with your buddies, uh, you know, it, it makes you feel a certain way when you're telling the story and, uh, you're totally confident doing it there, right? Yeah. What you know? What's stopping you from doing it um, in in a more business uh, application? So,
0: got to build that muscle. That's it. Yeah. It's repetitions and a lot of trial and error.
1: Absolutely.
0: There's some really cringy moments in my career making videos where I just look back at it and I'm like, I can't believe I did something so stupid. <laughs> you know, I don't sleep over it. Uh, that right, person right. didn't even watch my video. know <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: So, well, I, I can't like, uh, if you Google, uh, video storytelling for sales, I think, uh, Vidyard's got a blog that's on this first page. There's a video of one of your sales reps. Um, I think eating like the spiciest salsa or like hot sauce or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, I'm going to, I'm actually going to give this as a cautionary example and and no offense to the folks at Vidyard. That's a great video for getting somebody's attention. Right. Um, you know, I only watched it once. Maybe I have to watch back a couple of times, tying that back to a business outcome through story. Like, yeah, there's something to be, there's still something to be, uh, you know, put meat on the bone to be put on there. Right. So uh, I think it's good to capture people's attention, but ultimately if you want to maintain someone's attention, you got to give, uh, you got to set that expectation that upon earning their attention, you know, you are going to provide value in return, right? So, um, you know, again, we don't have to recreate TikToks in order to be successful video storytellers and sales. Like we just don't. Um, but we do have to have a plan. And I think that's where the, the potential marriage between a tool like pre-write, that's all about planning and structure and, and thinking about it conscientiously before you hit record and start, you know, uh, drooling all over yourself because you can't figure out what to say. Uh, marrying that with Vidyard, uh, which is going to give you the, the quantitative uh, numbers based, um, you know, really strong business uh, outcome tool. Putting those things together. I mean, I, I think it makes a ton of sense. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how, We continue to uh, develop that idea together yeah
0: absolutely me too and uh just kind of like a last thing here before before we get off but um you know we were talking a lot about like linear stories Mm -hmm. and like and making things like you know very uh methodological methodological yeah tongue twister how do you say that word methodological yes
1: methodical
0: methodical Methodical. oh my god yeah methodical (laughs) um instead of maybe making things more methodical what about like those random things that still make you feel enticed like entice a feeling or an emotion mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. i have one example and this is why it came up you were talking yeah. a little bit about the the whole story with like the hot sauce and the yeah, yeah. With the hot sauce but um i have jacob fernandez our video coach he's he's sick he, best videos ever he'd had this one video where he booked a meeting off of where he didn't even say much. He said like, he start. he was wearing a karate suit cause it was Halloween mm-hmm. and somebody in the back and he was holding a donut and then someone behind him was like playing with a stick or doing something weird and threw something at him. And he's like, yeah, uh, quick, like 15, 20 second pitch. But there was so much randomness and yeah. irregularities happening within the video that it enticed the person to it's like, this guy's got character. There's, there's something going on with this dude and I want to meet him. Yeah. And, uh, so it's like, so things don't really need to be fully linear either right that's a really interesting concept to look at as well
1: it, it is those pattern interruptions uh can go a long way jack braun says in a sea of white circles stand out like a red X." and i think you know mm. video helps you do that so much more you can only right. get so cutesy with your uh with your cold emails right like yeah. you know you can say oh your son is your son's in the principal's office which i've gotten you know i've gotten things like that before yeah. i'm like what like you're trying way too hard yeah. Uh, and also screw you, but, uh, <laughs> but, but video, you know, feels so much more authentic. Like nobody, if you wouldn't say that kind of stuff on video, but you'd say it in a cold email, you yeah. shouldn't say it at all. So, um, uh, yeah, whatever your level of comfortability is, push past it a little bit. Uh, yeah. and I think video can, can really have, uh, you know, outsized gains in terms of, uh, of, uh, competitive differentiation. So, so yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Cool, man. Well, as we wrap this thing up, uh, if people want to learn more about Vidyard, where's the best place for them to do that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can feel free to reach out to us on our website. You can reach out to anybody on the team, and I'm sure they'll put you in the right place. However, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I take care of partnership programs at Vidyard. So, for organizations like agencies, um, in the HubSpot domain, Mm-hmm. Uh, really any agency that's trying to be at the forefront of video sales and marketing, I highly recommend reaching out to me. You know, there's tons of programs cool. available to get you at the forefront.
1: Awesome. Awesome. I, I recommend it. Uh, we, Ali and I got com- uh, connected through, uh, an agency, uh, Matt's Matthew Scott with feed the agency. And, uh, I knew oh, if he's, he's a good, good company with Matthew, he's good company with me. So he
0: um, Matthew. he's the best.
1: Yeah. He's, 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 he's the guy. So, um, Allie, I appreciate you taking the time today. I think we we unpacked a lot of different things. We'll get some show notes up there as well as a link to your uh, LinkedIn, so people can can talk to you directly. Awesome. Um, but yeah, look forward to continuing conversations with you and uh, and really building a pretty kick ass numbers and emotions uh, driven driven strategy here.
0: Love it. That's ditto. Perfect. Cool.